You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, so I'm two for two in weeks wearing long pants. I also have an overshirt. I'm taking small steps toward the suit. Um, so get ready. Be prepared. Three-piece with the vest, because if you're going to wear a suit, do it right, right? Anyway, um, if you're new here, and I think I see a few new faces, I'm glad you're here. My name is David Dowdy. I'm the teaching pastor here at Revolution Church. Um, and what we're doing right now is we are a few months into a series uh, studying the letter of First John. Right here at Revolution, we do, uh, it's called expositional preaching, um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So we've just been working our way a couple verses at, verses at a time through this. Uh, and the name of this series is Simple Truths, right? Because most of us, um, especially if you grew up in the church, most of the things that John writes in his first letter uh, are things that you've heard before. Um, at least if you, if you grew up in a church of any real worth. Uh, you've heard these things before, and that's why we call this Simple Truths. Uh, because often, even though we've heard them before, we need reminded of these simple truths, these basics of the faith. Right, so again, uh, my prayer is that we would, even though we've heard these truths many times before, that we would receive the Word of God as the Word of God and receive it in faith. Uh, but this evening, my introduction's super short. Uh, this evening, we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 1b. Right, so we're finishing it up. We did 1a last week, 1b. We're doing the other sentence of, fir- of uh, the first verse this time. Um, so yeah, after this, we'll be. This is the last time we'll be splitting verses throughout this series. So we'll get to really make huge jumps through the chapter three by going two verses next week. It's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, we're going to be considering this evening what it means to be unknown by the world, right? And how that in the face of persecution, in the face of being unknown, in the face of hostility and rejection from the world, we ought to remain confident that we are indeed the children of God. Um, If you're a believer, if you have turned from your sins and your faith is in Christ alone and his life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, then you are a child of God. Um, But not only that, not only in the face of rejection and hostility from the world that we can have confidence that we're the children of God, but we're also going to look at just for a moment uh, that we hope not in this world or how we're treated in this world, but in a future day of vindication when Christ will be recognized by the world, and we, as his people, as his family, will be recognized by the world as well. And that's our great hope, right? As Christians, we don't hope in this world. We don't hope in how we're treated, but we hope in a coming day. So, without any more by way of introduction, we are in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And by the way, if you're new here and you don't have a Bible, or the Bible you have is really hard for you to understand, take one of those Bibles out the backs of the pew. The English Standard Version Bible is, is my preferred one, so take that with you. First um, John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring John by your Holy Spirit to record this for us, this truth that Christ was unknown by the world and as his people we are as well. Holy Spirit, please use this week preaching 
to do a sovereign work of grace. Please be kind to us. Let us receive your word by faith. And help us to leave your changed people. If there are unbelievers present, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would woo them to Christ. That they could see the beauty of Jesus Christ crucified in their place. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a little bit of recap, right, because we're looking at the whole verse so we don't just take this last sentence out of context. Uh, so last week we talked about the, the beautiful truth that all those who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation are now the children of God. Right, we took some time to behold that truth. Right, That was the command we looked at last week. See, behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. We wanted to see it clearly, and I think we did last week. Um, we saw how God the Father has lavished upon us a special saving love, if you're a Christian. Um, how we've been chosen as God's children from before the foundation of the world was laid. That in love, He predestined you for adoption through the Lord Jesus. Um, that we, we saw that our salvation has been given to us, all of grace, not of works, not of anything that you and I could possibly do. We can't twist God's arm into loving us, but he has loved us savingly, all of grace as a gift towards us, and that we have been adopted into God's family through the work of Christ on our behalf, that Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, in, in, in place of sinners, has made us clean, and that our present reality is that we are indeed in God's family, that we are indeed His children. So again, I just have you guys consider what a privileged position that you and I, Christians, are in now. Like in a way, and at least I heard this growing up a lot, but I, I guess maybe I thought it was cheesy, so I've just kind of gotten away from it a little bit. In a way, you and I as believers are royalty. Right? You could look at it in that sense. I know that might sound kind of cheesy, but if Jesus is our brother, which I'm not being blasphemous here, Romans 8.29, um, those who be foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Right? So metaphorically, if Jesus is our big brother, and he is king of kings, right? and we know that God, the entire Godhead, is the king of the entire universe, we have been made siblings to King Jesus we are royalty in some metaphorical sense, but not by us, but by nature of whom we've become related to by the grace of God. Um, so indeed, we are royalty in some sense. It's, it's kind of strange to consider um, that we have full access to the king of the universe as children do with their parents. Right? That we can go to him and he's not annoyed with us. He loves us as his children. What a blessing that is. We are heirs to all things along with Christ. We're royal. It's amazing to think that God has taken paupers, right, who did not know him and made them siblings to King Jesus. That is insanity. That's grace. Grace upon grace. Sinners made royal by the decree of the Father, the work of the Son, and the application of the Holy Spirit. It's astounding. But it does not always seem that way, does it? Right? We are not often treated like royalty. Wouldn't that be awesome? You can tell someone you're a Christian, they're like, oh, yes. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, we are not treated by the world as if we are truly the children of God. In fact, often we're told that we don't even know God, especially with a liberal theological climate that we live in. If you guys are following up with the Nashville Statement or anything like that, I recommend you read it. There are a ton of liberal Christians, and I use the word Christian lightly in that, a ton of liberal Christians that are saying that we don't even know God in light of our theology, in light of our understanding of God and His purposes in creation. Um, so again, we're not often treated as if we are truly the children of God. Um, but again, you guys already know what I'm talking about. It's not hard to see. 
the unbelieving world opposes God's people. The unbelieving world opposes the church at every turn in, in different ways. Right? Obviously, it's not all the same everywhere. Whether it be uh, full-blown murdering of Christians, like we saw in the first three centuries in the Roman Empire, right? persecuted for 300 years, uh, as we see in the Middle East today with stuff like ISIS going on, um, as we see in North Korea today where Christians are murdered if they're found out to be Christians. So it could be full-out murder of Christians. Um, the church is opposed uh, also in, in, in a little bit of a lesser way, like the outlawing of biblical Christianity like we see in China, where they have a form of Christianity, but it's just communist-ran and therefore not biblical. Um, or, in yet another smaller way, like we tend to see in the United States, um, the opposition of the world to the church. We see uh, freedom of speech beginning to erode in our nation. I'm not here to talk politics, but it's just true. Um, we see freedom of speech being uh, stifled, which will eventually translate into the church being silenced or at least attempting to silence us. We see people uh, from time to time lose their jobs because of their religious convictions. Uh, we're starting to see new laws passing that hinder us from practicing our religion uh, freely and in a clear conscience. The children of God always experience persecution and rejection from the world. Right? We are often treated as outcasts. Right? In, in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.13, we are the scum of the world, right? We are the scum of the earth. That's what Paul said. He said that's how we're treated. That's how we are regarded is as the scum of the earth. You know, and John's original audience, right? Because we're not the original audience of this letter, right? The people who re- first received this letter, John's audience was experiencing the same thing, right? Because of their holding to the truth. Remember, the, the, one of the big reasons that John writes this letter is because there were heretics. There were false teachers teaching false things about the gospel, false things about Jesus Christ, creeping up in Asia Minor, Right? That's why he's writing to these people. And the, John's original audience, because of their holding to the truth of the gospel, because of their holding to the truth of who Jesus really is, they were being mistreated, they were being slandered, there was chaos around them, they were being persecuted by the false teachers in their region. They were, in a nutshell, they were ex- experiencing rejection from the world around them as they read this letter. And keep in mind, in context of this, John just affirmed to them that they are the beloved, chosen, called, named children of God. And yet they're experiencing all of this rejection. So the question becomes, why? Why? If we are God's children, why does the world reject us? Right? Since we have this privileged position with God, shouldn't the world recognize us for what we are? If God has so chosen us and so loved us and been so gracious to us as to save us, shouldn't the world recognize? Right? And that's a real question, especially for the original audience. Now, maybe this is less of a hard-hitting question for us because you've heard me preach sermons on this topic before, but for the original readers, this would have been huge. John tells us in this verse, in the second half of this verse, why we're rejected. And his answer tells us that God doesn't want the world's rejection of us to make us question our status as the children of God, right? So please hear that. That's a huge part of John's answer. The reason why John answers this thought that his original readers would have had, why are we being rejected? He does not want the world's rejection of believers to make us question our status as God's children, right? He says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, the him there being Jesus, The reason why the world rejects us is that it did not know Christ. It did not receive Christ. 
And so again, whenever we talk about the world, we're talking about the unbelieving world system that opposes God. Right? Made up of unbelievers following their own desires, doing as they will, in opposition to God, in hostility to God. And that is every, un- that is every unbeliever. Right? He says the reason why the world does not know us. I just want to get that word know in our head. Whenever he uses that word, the reason why the world doesn't recognize us as what we are. The reason why the world doesn't love us, accept us, doesn't respect us, doesn't listen to us, and doesn't desire us. The reason why the world doesn't know us is because it first rejected Christ. That's why it rejects us. Right? Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right? So we should not expect better than our Lord got from the world. He was unknown to the world, rejected by the very people who should have received him, a reference to the Jewish people. We should not expect better than our Lord got from the world. And furthermore, since we have been united with Christ by faith, the Christ that the world rejected, the world is going to have the same disposition toward us, is what John is saying. But we can actually take this back a little bit further, right? I'm going to make this argument, uh, and I challenge you, fight me in the parking lot on it. Um, The people of God have always been opposed. The people of God have always been opposed, rejected, and persecuted, right? Let's just look at the nation of Israel, Right, which was God's chosen nation under the Old Covenant. Again, no longer His chosen people. Um, but under the Old Covenant, God's chosen nation, they were enslaved by Egypt. Right? They were enslaved by Egypt. They were oppressed. They were murdered. Then later, whenever Israel was made into a formal nation, they were always at war with other nations, weren't they? Always. All the time. Taken into captivity, enslaved yet again. Because other nations did not recognize who they belonged to. Right? So they were not recognized. The nation of Israel as a whole throughout the Old Testament. We can look at the Old Testament prophets. Right? Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Right? All the Old Testament prophets. They were mocked, imprisoned. They were murdered, many of them, by the unbelievers in Israel. And they were murdered because of what they preached. They preached, repent from your idolatry and turn to Yahweh. Turn to the living God by faith. And they were murdered for that. We look at Jesus Christ. Right, the visible image of the invisible God, the greatest prophet and Lord and King and God in the flesh. And he himself was hated and crucified for the message of salvation that he proclaimed. The message of salvation through faith in him. We look at the apostles who were all, except one, I believe John, the one that we're reading from, died of old age. But all of the other apostles were jailed and beaten and eventually martyred for preaching the message of Christ And the church throughout history has received the same. There has never been one moment in history since the beginning of the church at Pentecost that someone somewhere has not been persecuted for the name of Christ. Always. Always. God's people have always been mocked. We've always been scorned. We've always been rejected and killed by the world. That is part of being in God's family. I know you guys don't hear stuff like this super often. right? And again, I don't know a lot of you are are new here. A lot of us have not heard this, that this is just part of our lineage as the people of God, if you're a Christian. This is just part of your lineage, is being mocked, rejected, and persecuted. It's just part of it. And this rejection, 
that we experience is, is, I would argue, because at the core, all people fall into one of two families. There are the children of God who are made up of all those who have turned to Christ by faith and embraced Him as Lord and Savior, as we saw at the beginning of this verse, right? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are, right? The verse before that, 229, says, We have been born of Him, right? So we're in His family. They're the children of God, the family of God made up of believers. And then there are children of the devil made up of every single unbeliever in the world. All unbelievers. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. That sounds really harsh, right? I'm just trying to use biblical language here. Um, Whenever I call unbelievers the children of Satan, I'm just repeating what Jesus said, right? And hear me on this. Unbelievers can, by God's grace, through the Holy Spirit working in them, be changed from children of the devil to children of God because God is a gracious God who does amazing things and saves people that don't deserve to be saved. You and I, chief of them, But in the present state that they are in, the unbeliever is indeed a child of the devil. Here's a conversation, John 8, 42 through 44. Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees who opposed him. And Jesus, Jesus gave a statement. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's what he says to those who oppose him. Your will is to do your father's desires, and your father is the devil himself. So all who oppose and reject Jesus, this is what I'm inferring from this passage then. He says, if God were your father, we know God is not father of the unbeliever. They're not children of God. Unbelievers are children of the wrath of God, but they're not children of God as in in his family. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. We know unbelievers don't love Christ. He says, those who don't love Christ are of their father, the devil, and their will is to do their father's desires. Furthermore, Ephesians 2 says that all unbelievers, just like we once were, are led around the world by the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Right? That's the devil leading them around. They're doing as he wants them to do. So therefore, all who oppose and reject Christ fall into that family category. I just want to take a minute so you guys know I'm not just being overly harsh. But follow this logic then. Satan opposes God. That's what he does. Satan opposes God. Satan hates God. And therefore, Satan hates the people of God. And he always has. He's always opposed them. So Satan's children do the same. Jesus says your will, your, your will is to do your father's desires. So children of the devil do as their father does. Therefore, they oppose God and they oppose the people of God. This is why we experience such opposition from the world. That's why. We're not in the same family. We're not in the same family. That's why we're persecuted. That's why we're rejected. Jesus warned us of this, though. And if you've been at Rev, you already know the passages we're going to look at. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus said they did this to your other family members. They did this to the prophets who came before you. Of course they're going to do it to you. You're in good company. 
You're in the company of the family of God when they revile you and persecute you. And notice in this, it's something that we skim over. Jesus says, when others revile you and persecute you. Not if. When. Know for certain that it will happen in some form at some point in your life if you're a follower of Christ. He warned us. He says again in John 16, verses 1 through 3, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's talking to his disciples. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. means like the religious people. They'll put them out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So again, the world opposes and rejects us because they do not know God. Had they known God, they would not treat us such a way. Had they known Christ, they would not treat us such a way. But as they're not in our family, they're hostile to us because their father, the devil, is hostile to the people of God. We ought to expect this. We're going to look later on in this chapter. John says, don't be surprised. Right? We ought not be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised whenever we experience opposition. But often, right, often in America... We find ourselves caught off guard when opposition to us Christians comes, right? We find ourselves caught off guard. And that's because we have experienced an unprecedented peace as believers for the last 350 years on this continent, right? We have. It was settled by Christians. Last 350 years, unprecedented peace. And because of that, we have forgotten as a whole that the world is opposed to us. That the world has fundamentally different values, different principles, different desires, different goals, different gods. Different principles that they live by, entirely different. For a long time in our country, and I've not seen it so much, uh, but I read history books. um, For a long time in our country, being a Christian was considered a good or honorable thing. We have a few people in the crowd that can probably remember some of those times. Not me. All right. In the past, being a Christian could could help you get a job. All right. It could it could help you get a political office, which you still see people using that one today, and you see evangelical Christians that are dumb enough to believe it. Right. You claim to be a Christian, and all of a sudden everyone believes you're a Christian. We should be smarter than that, people. Come on. Anyway. Um, so again, professing to be a Christian for a long time, could get you a measure of respect among your peers or get you a little bit of clout, uh, especially in the South, right? Uh, but now that's starting to go away, right? It's been, it's been going away, like, slowly but surely for, like, the last century or so, but really quickly in the last, like, 40 years. It's been going away really, really, really fast, and we don't like it. Like, be real with yourself. We don't like that at all, do we? We do not like that our, our privilege as Christians is eroding. Most of us, when we see rejection and opposition to our faith, because we don't like it, we tend to respond in a couple of different ways. Uh, one uh, is fear. Right? If you're like me, I do this sometimes. I'm a big wuss. Uh, we can respond with fear. Right? And you guys know what I'm talking about. This whole, like, what are we going to do? Right? This isn't fair. They're, they're going to come for us. It's only a matter of time. Free speech is being eroded. I see these laws passing, people losing their job. It's only a matter of time before this directly affects the church. What about my children? What about my future children? Will I be able to raise them in this culture faithfully? Right? What, what if hate speech laws come after the proclamation of the gospel? What will I do then? 
I know I've had conversations with some of you. I'm not the only one that feels this way sometimes. And what we do is we become so consumed with fear and anxiety and worry about what might happen or what is currently happening that it almost paralyzes us. Right? And then you all know as well as I do that fear can quickly turn to anger and outrage, can't it? And this is another one that I see a lot. Right? I say we jump them, right? right? I say we fight back. Right? This is, I say this one a good bit. The world is not being consistent in its laws or logic, and this is pure trash because they are targeting us specifically. Right? I say we take it to them and quit taking all this on the chin. Right? And if anyone's listening to the podcast, that's not what I'm saying. And that anger causes us to hate the unbelievers around us, doesn't it? Seriously, it, makes us to, it causes us to stop being concerned with their souls and makes us view everyone as our enemy. Everyone who's not a Christian, they are now our enemy. And we quickly, start to, we, we, we quickly forget that we don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? We fight against spiritual things. But again, both of these responses make no sense. Fear and anger make no sense. We should expect opposition. We should expect rejection. That's part of being in God's family. And furthermore, that is not how our spiritual ancestors responded. Look at the early church. Fear and anger, is that how they responded? Look at the apostles. No. It's not how they responded. There is a better way for us to handle rejection from the world instead of with fear and anger. And it's the way that John wants us to handle it, I would argue. So again, the context of this verse, he says, you are God's children. Know that. You are the children of God. All of you who have turned to Christ by faith. And the world rejects you because it rejected Him first. I think what he is saying is that this rejection from the world is one of the ways that you can know that you are in His family. He just affirmed that you're in His family, and then he affirms that the world rejects you because it rejected Christ. This is one of the ways you can know that you're in His family. This is the family resemblance. And if you've been born of Him, you're going to look like Him. The world rejected Christ. Right? Follow me on this. The world rejected Jesus, and we're supposed to be like Him. So if we are truly like Him, the world should reject us. That would be consistent. That makes sense. If we're actually like Him, the world will reject us. I think this tells us that persecution from the world should bring with it a measure of confidence for us. It should bring with it a measure of boldness for us. Because in being rejected by the world, we receive a measure of assurance that we don't belong to the world. But we belong to the family of God. Assurance is one of the main reasons John writes this letter. John 5.13, he says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's his his, his, statement, purpose, purpose statement, whatever, I can't speak English. That's That's his reason for writing is that we might have assurance. So he's saying in the midst of persecution and opposition, we can know who we belong to. We can know in whom we have believed. We can know that we are children of God. Furthermore, the fact that the world rejects us is proof of who our real father is. So think about this. In rejecting and mocking and persecuting us, 
the world shows us that we have no part with it. Or they would receive us as their own. But in mocking, rejecting, persecuting, murdering the children of God, they prove that we are not a part of that family. And since there are only two families, we must belong to the other one. We must belong to God's family then if the world won't have us as its own. So I have a couple of side notes here that I hope challenge you and convict you so that we might all repent. I know this beat me on Friday. One, if the world agrees with you and accepts you more than it doesn't, you should check yourself. If the world is at peace with the things that you say, if the world is at peace with the positions you take and the life that you live, more than it isn't. Because there will be some moments of overlap where the world agrees with the church, for certain. And we should thank God for those moments. But if the world agrees with you more than it doesn't and accepts you more than, you more than it doesn't, you should check yourself. And likewise, if you accept and agree with the world more than you don't, you should check yourself. If the world, if the world view of the world makes more sense to you than it doesn't, you should check yourself. And when I say check yourself, you should ask yourself this question. Am I being faithful to the Lord Jesus? Am I being faithful to His revealed will and His word? Am I really bearing His resemblance because He was despised and rejected by the world? Am I bearing that resemblance? And I feel like I always need to make a distinction here. Right? Um, sometimes Christians are rejected by people and it has nothing to do with Jesus. Right? Some of you maybe see where I'm going with this. Uh, honestly, there's a couple of big reasons uh, why some people are rejected by the world and it has nothing to do with Christ. Uh, one is that Christians are weird. Um, some of them. And you all know what I'm talking about. Like Everyone knows some weird Christians. Right? Um, or they're jerks. Right? And everyone knows some Christians that are just straight up jerks. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. So whenever I say weird, what I mean by that um, is these Christians who intentionally alienate themselves from the world, right? Now, I don't mean in godly ways. I mean with unbiblical traditions, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. I don't need to go into a ton of specifics. But people who intentionally alienate themselves from the world with unbiblical traditions. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't wear that. And I'm not saying that modesty isn't a real thing. But I can't wear that. I can't go here. I can't do this. I can't, I can't laugh. Right? I've got to be weird. Uh, i got to speak in the king's English. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they essentially refuse to interact with the world. Right? And that's not what the Bible tells us to do. They seclude themselves. Right? Think like Blast from the Past. You guys remember that movie with Brendan Fraser? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. It was a good one. Um, refused to interact with the people, and they're living like 50 years ago and not in a good way. Um, or, again, so there's the weird, and then there's the jerks. Right? And these are people, and I'm not, I'm not willing to say that they're not necessarily Christians, right? Because God saves weird people, and God saves people who are rude. Right? And we're all in different paths on sanctification. So I'm not willing to say that these people aren't Christians. But these are those Christians who are just unkind and ungracious as they engage with unbelievers. They speak with no tact. They speak with no grace whatsoever. They're just, they seem like hateful all the time and everything annoys them. And people don't like them because no one likes a jerk. Right? Christians don't like jerks. Right? So that's natural. 
And both of these things, being unbiblically weird and being unbiblically hateful, are ungodly. So hear me on this, Christians. If we must be scorned, it must be because of our faithfulness to Jesus. If we must be scorned, it must be because of Him. It must be because we draw a line in the sand of morality with the Bible. Because we proclaim the gospel to people and they don't want to hear it. It must be for reasons like that, not because of us and our shortcomings and our sin. We are the unknown of the world. We are to be different. But our being unknown must be because of godliness. Not because of us. But again, as we are rejected and unrecognized by the world, we ought to rejoice in the proof that we are the children of God. Now, I'm not here to be a, a fear monger or fear monger. I always want to put an extra er on the end of that word. Fear monger er. That's not a word. Um, so I'm not trying to be a fear monger. Uh, but if things keep going the way that they are in our country, we're going to face more and more rejection and more and more tension and hopefully not anytime soon, but possibly outright persecution. Right? So I'm preaching this sermon for a reason. I want you guys, Christians, to be prepared for this kind of stuff and not be caught off guard. Um, You know, this is just how it's probably going to be for us. It's probably not going to get better unless the Lord calls us a third great awakening, which would be awesome. Um, But in my mind, doesn't seem very likely. This is just how it's going to be for us. But as we face more and more rejection, we ought to still rejoice. right? Not only in the fact that this proves that we are the people of God, Right, but we ought to rejoice, not in the persecution, because only a fool rejoices in persecution. But we ought to rejoice in the hope of a day of vindication. Right, the world rejects Christ and His bride. The world rejects Christ and His church, Christ and His family. But one day this will happen, Revelation 1, 7 and 8. Behold, He, Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So there is coming a day where every eye will see Him, the One who was unknown to the world, and all will mourn what they had done to Him. All will mourn that they had rejected Him. Even so, Amen. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore, because Christ suffered a death as a criminal on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are realities. He is coming on the clouds someday. All will see, all will mourn their rejection of Him, and all will bow the knee to the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the chosen one of God, the Holy One of Israel, the divine Son, the eternal Son, God incarnate. They will bow, they will recognize Him for who He is. And this is good news for the family of God. This is bad news for the world. One day the world will recognize Him. And by extension, the world will recognize His family. This, is, this truth is hope for us. 
Keeping truth like this in mind is how we persevere when the world rejects us. This is our confidence. There's coming a day of vindication. One day Christ and His church will be rejected no more. But hear me. Today is not that day. So our hope is not in this world, but in the God who gets the last word. That's our hope in the midst of rejection. One final thing to keep in mind. As we face hostility from the world, please hear me on this because I need told this all the time. This is, this is hard, but this is also our hope. This is good news. As we face hostility from the world, we ought to take our cue from the Lord Jesus. As He was reviled and mocked, a man acquainted with grief, as He was rejected by all, He never stopped loving. He never stopped loving people. What did he do? He set his face like a flint toward the cross. He kept marching toward the cross, knowing what was in store for him. This is love. He was reviled, hated, and mocked, and yet he continued to love those who were rejecting him. He even prayed for those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. This is the head of our family. In light of what He did and who He is, do not disengage the world. That's going to be what we're going to want to do. Don't become bomb shelter Christians who hide from the world because we're rejected by the world. Keep engaging the world that does not accept you. Keep associating with unbelievers. Keep praying. Keep preaching. Keep loving the world. Because that's what our Lord Jesus did. And we are the God-ordained means by which through the proclamation of the Gospel and through engaging the world that God brings more and more people into His family. And please remember this. As you're rejected by the world, Remember that once you did not know Christ, you were far from Him. And by grace, you have been brought near to Him. Remember who you were before Christ claimed you as His own. You rejected Him. But He continued to pursue you, didn't He? You were not looking for Him. He found you. You did not find Christ. Christ found you. You were in your sin, in your rebellion, rejecting God and all that is holy, and yet He said, I'm going to love you. This is gospel. This is good news. He continued to love you in spite of your opposition. Do likewise. Do the same. Never let the gospel leave your heart, because if you do, you will stay angry or you will stay scared. Let the love of Christ course through you that you might love those who hate you. That you might take it on the chin for the glory of God and love them anyway. So in closing, we've seen this evening that we are the children of God indeed. And that children of God are not known by the world. But that the rejection by the world proves that we belong to God. And that we hope not in how we are treated in this world, but in the God who will one day vindicate us as His children. And that we are to be resolved 
to bear the family resemblance of Christ's love to the world, even as they reject us as they did him. May God give us the grace to do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we will be rejected. Thank you for warning us through your scripture. God, I pray that that as we receive hostility from the world, uh, whether it be in minor or major ways, God, that we would just continue to love, that we would not be afraid because we know who we have trusted in. What can mere mortals do to us? God, help us to not be angry, but to worry for the souls of the people, to to desire to see them saved, to see them converted as, as we were. God, help us to look forward to the day of vindication when your son is revealed and all the world will bow before him and proclaim Christ is Lord of all. And God, please help us to love our enemies. Please help us to pray for those who persecute us and love those who would seek to do us ill. Help us to love like Christ. God, we thank you for the love of Christ given to us and dying for those of us who once rejected him. Thank you for taking us who were far from you and alienated from you and all of your promises and all of your blessing and bringing us near to you through the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much. We worship you and we praise you forever. In Christ's name, amen.